You're listening to In Technology, your source for trends about security, sustainability, and technology. I make product briefs still (laughs) all this time later like I used to it until there's more exclamation points. (laughs) I went from processor chips to chocolate chips. Hi, I'm Camille Moorhart, host of In Technology Podcast, and I want to give a brief intro to the conversation we're about to play because it's a little bit different than some of our other ones. I'm very happy to have had a conversation with Kelsey Marrera. I got to know her when she was working at Intel, and she absolutely blew me away with how great she is at business and technology. And she subsequently has been recognized by Forbes 30 Under 30, and she's been on Shark Tank a couple of times. She was so good at business that it surprised me and probably a lot of other people when she quit her job in technology and pursued her passion by starting her own company based on baking called Dope, Legit Cookie Dough. And it is spelled D-O-U-G-H-P. This company also focuses on helping people get through addiction recovery and help them succeed. And it's very supportive of its employees. I'm very happy to have Kelsey on. She herself is in recovery. And so she tells a a very candid story and provides very candid advice to companies about how they can embrace and support all of their employees. She is also just really fun and humorous and has a ton of energy. I don't know where it all comes from. And on top of all of that, she's pregnant. And so you'll hear us reference her unborn baby daughter, Olivia. Please enjoy the episode. Kelsey, for anybody who doesn't know, is a serious star. She quit her job in tech, which was very sad to me, but probably a good thing (laughs) for the world because she went and started this amazing company. But tell us a little bit about your journey to get there. Yeah. So it's funny because it really all starts with Intel back in the day, you know, getting this chance to go work at Intel. I was just 16 years old when I started. I was a high school intern working you know, part-time through the school years and full-time every summer. That turned into a 10-year career at Intel from just such a young age. So what was an awesome opportunity to learn from amazing leaders, much like yourself, getting to work in your group there towards the end of my time at Intel, It was also really hard on my mental health. And I was struggling from a pretty early age with seeing my achievements and like what I was doing in the world as my self-worth and a way that I could get some attention. My parents are going through a divorce when I was six years old. And I feel like I saw the joy I could bring to them when I was doing good. And those connections got really strong. And so when I would get even a B on a test in school, I was in hysterics. You know, I just could barely take it. So fast forward to any performance review that where there was even the most minute sense of feedback and I was distraught, like I had failed, you know? So I was really, really hard on myself. And I was uh, 14 years old the first time I drank and I drank till I blacked out the very first time. And I had this for the first time ever sense, like I was everybody else. Like I didn't have to be on and I was just carefree and relaxed and the life of the party, Kelsey. So it started a pretty unhealthy drinking career over the years. I was able to mask it with great grades. You know, I was something like 21 credits my first semester in college, got straight A's, and I was blacking out probably like five nights a week and still working at Intel part-time. So no one really knew the struggles I was going through behind the scenes. But in 2015, I made the amazing decision to finally get sober. I was on a business trip with Intel in Barcelona for a conference that was happening there. 
and uh, just had the last hurrah, if you will, the last night and woke up that morning like, I never want to feel like this again. I'm so tired of apologizing for things I barely remember doing and I want to make a change. So I got sober and that opened up the whole world to me, got me to figure out who I am and what I love to do. And that is eat and make desserts in large part. So <laughs> that's really where it all started and formed into where I am today with Oat. So who was the first person you called? Yeah, I called my Nana first. So she was 21 years sober when she passed away. And, you know, like many people who struggle with addiction or even just mental health struggles, and you've got people who are worried about you and are reaching out through the years with concern. She was probably the leader, cheerleader for that group for me, you know, writing me letters over the years, like wanting me to get on the right path. So I called her that morning and said a short version of what had happened and that I was done and I wanted to get sober. And she was like, well, you better get your wee butt to a AA meeting <laughs> in her Scottish accent that I won't try and mimic right now. But very kindly just said that she wanted me to find a meeting and like, I'm here for you. I'm going to support you. And and I did. I found an English-speaking AA meeting that morning in Barcelona. Wow. Made it through that seven-day conference in my first seven days of sobriety, uh, which is crazy. And Wow. Yeah, and flew home after that to literally feeling like my life was ending. You know, I had lost a relationship of four years at the time. Everything just felt like it was falling apart. But brick by brick, you just pick yourself up and get going and take the next step forward. Who did you first bake with? Gosh, first bake with probably my mom. She had, this is poignant for dope because one of the things she would do with me uh, after the divorce, like when I'd be going back to her house, she had this cookbook called The Great Cookie Cookbook. And it was like a hundred cookie recipes. And so she'd be like, you can pick any recipe in here and we'll make it together, you know, this next week or whatever. So uh, lots of baking with her, but then tons of baking with my Nana over the years, you know, when I was first when I was young and then after getting sober, like I have some really great memories. She passed when I was one year sober. So mm. just after I'd hit a year. So she got to see Monster Baby Bakery when I was doing the baked goods, uh, bringing stuff into the office at Intel and enough folks like you saying, hey, you know, could you make something for my kid's birthday? I had a business pre-dope, you know, to do this at-home bakery. So she got to see that, which was really awesome. Do you still bake? I do. Cakes and everything. I'm like the resident birthday cake maker around here. So when someone's having a birthday or we're having a party, like I love to make the layer cake still. I haven't gone as detailed as those panda cupcakes I made way back for, for your um, child's birthday back in the day. But yeah, I still bake, I bake cookies. So it's funny because you start a company because you love to do something. And then very quickly, you're running a company not baking cookies anymore. Mm -hmm. I won't say very quickly. I was still <laughs> sweating it out in the commercial kitchen for probably the first like year and a half or so. And then we moved to co-packers and it's just scaled up from there. Uh, yeah, not doing it in my kitchen, but I try to make a point of keeping it as a you know personal hobby and still a big part of who I am and what I love to do that I got to discover in sobriety. This little community that I live in with all these older people, I'll just tell you this one quick. Um, these old ladies think it's so funny when they start they started hearing about dope and you know it's big news like wow this Shark Tank thing is like they're here and they're like so you're making all that cookie dough in your kitchen like they think <laughs> I'm producing all of the cookie yeah. dough <laughs> here in Texas I'm like no no not anymore <laughs> just I could make you some but no we're not doing it all here so they can't understand how how you could run a company from <laughs> not where you're producing it <laughs> where do you make it 
Yeah, it's all produced and fulfilled out of Las Vegas. So when we uh, transitioned from having storefronts, so I had San Francisco's Pier 39, and then we opened up on the Las Vegas Strip. The Shark Tank episode in 2019 came out just after opening that store on the Strip. You know, fast forward a year later, the pandemic hits and our e-commerce business was like skyrocketing. We went from like 30 boxes a month in November of 19 to 3,000 a week in April of 2020. So our whole business model just like flipped on its head. You know, our storefronts were shuttered with the quarantine. We decided to shut down the San Francisco store and by October of 2020, shut down the Vegas store. So what I, you know, spent most of the, the, second half of 2020 doing was getting our supply chain established with is my husband had joined the company at that time and you know getting everything set up to have manufacturing and fulfillment in Vegas there with us and slowly but surely as like you know wheels started turning and things were moving we were just like working from our home office every day going why are we still in Vegas you know like we don't actually need to be here when we're using, you know, these great partners that we've, we've gotten set up. So we were able to move here to be close to my, my papa in Texas. But you're still, you're traveling. What's like a day in the life or a week in the life for you? What does it look like now? You know, the best thing about it compared to Intel life, right. Of like going from corporate to what I do now is I literally can't tell you a like week in the life of Kelsey because it's always different depending on where I'm going or what I'm doing. I mean, the public speaking has been such a great component to pick up. Not only is it great for dope and you're, you know, getting more people to see the name, but getting to share my story and inspire people, you know, to make a change in their life, whatever it is, I feel so fulfilled. So that's been really fun to to pick up. So a sprinkling of public speaking events. You know, we've split the business operation like management between Iz and I. I handle more of the sales and marketing. I run the product development as well. So all the dreaming of like, what do we want to do next? What's the roadmap for us for new product innovation? I make product briefs still (laughs) all this time later, like I used to at Intel. They're a little more fun. There's more exclamation points (laughs) and uh, a little more wild than what I used to do, but it's still lots of product marketing. Just I went from processor chips to chocolate chips. So yeah, little shift. (laughs) When I went to go get some dope to try it before chatting with you, my kids both tried it and absolutely love it. And so they had some questions for you. And I really liked their questions. Oh, that's awesome. So my favorite question from my daughter was, when did you know you'd made it? Oh, that's so sweet. You know, <laughs> I think the answer is honestly, you'll never feel like you made it is what I'm learning. <laughs> making it is the journey. Like making it is realizing that like, everything I've learned to date is worth it. But There's no finite point where I've been like, this is it, you know, because when you have this personality where you want to keep building, you want to keep growing, you know, I had no idea when I first started that it would be as big as it is now. Like I remember calling my dad when we hit a hundred thousand dollars in sales and I was like, oh my God, we've sold a hundred thousand dollars of cookie dough. And now we're past 13 million in lifetime sales. I mean, you just the scale just gets so much bigger. But when you're in those moments, it's just where you are. And like the next hurdle, the next obstacle, the next point to hit is just, that's all I've been really looking at as I keep growing it. So I've never been like, this is it. We made it. You know, Shark Tank was pretty cool, but I didn't feel like, all right, I made it rest on my laurels. Like it's hard work. Running a food business is no joke. And the obstacles and the learning and the challenges just keep presenting themselves. So Yeah, still going. I'll let her know if I end up feeling like I've made it one day. (laughs) Did you ever have a moment where you were like having to decide on sort of your 
morals or your conscience or your ethics or your code or whatever it is, as opposed to some other kind of bigger step or offer mm. or. Yeah. I mean, I've had some, uh, some less than enjoyable experiences fundraising, you know, where you have to be like, this is inappropriate and this is not someone I want to take funding from and be okay with walking away from what would have been an amazing, like life-changing access to capital and know that your morals and standards are more important than that. I'd say, you know, in the business world, one thing we've really had to stick with is like the decision for us with Dope for Hope and how important the mission was going to be for the company. It's really easy for businesses to say, things have gotten too hard. We haven't been profitable for the last three years. Like we've got to cut costs. Like we need to cut the mission. And for me, it's just been like, absolutely not. No chance are we letting that go. Not even willing to entertain changing it. Like the amount that we donate, 1% of all of our sales. We've had talks of like, should we go to a percent of profits? And those things come up. Other people kind of bring it up when we're getting advised on our financial situation. And it's like, nope, like we can talk about cutting anything else, but like, I'm just not cutting what we're doing with the mission. It's the whole why I can keep going. Yeah, you really have to have like a North Star for why you're doing what you're doing. And I know we're helping so many people and I just, there was no way that I'm going to sacrifice on that. So tell us a little bit more about Dope for Hope. Yeah, so 2017, I was newly into business, maybe six months in and we were getting our first, I can't really call this one a storefront because it was a kiosk, but it was like a physical space and we would no longer have to pack for events out of my apartment. (laughs) So I was very excited. It was going to be a real like 10 by 10 space that was a little cookie dough bar on Market Street in San Francisco. And the grand opening day was my two year sobriety anniversary. So on the Facebook event, I said, if you say it's dope to be sober at checkout, you'll get 20% off in honor of the founder's sober birthday. And I didn't expect to see much from this, but our DMs were just like filling up with people saying, you know, some that they were two weeks sober and wondering if I knew of any good meetings in the city. And another person was 13 years sober and telling me how he had never told anyone. And it was really cool to see me sharing this publicly. Hmm. And I just had such a light bulb moment then of like, how alone I felt when I was going through it. And it took me a long time to say I'm ready to get sober because I didn't want to be different. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was going to be the only one that had to deal with this. And why couldn't I just be like everybody else? And when you're newly sober, you know, and everyone else seems like they're drinking and everyone else seems like they have it together. This really reminded me that like, I'm totally not alone. There's a bunch of people out there who also feel like they're the only ones going through it, but we're all here. We're just quiet through a number of reasons in the past, the stigma that surrounded it has made people want to stay quiet around it, that something was wrong with you if you needed to get sober or you were a liability or a bad person. And people would ask me like, when I was early on, if you're going to fundraise, are you going to tell investors that you're sober? You know, aren't you worried about what they'll think? And I'm like, I can't wait to tell them I'm sober. Like, it's the coolest thing about me. It's like, hey, I saw something wasn't working in my life and I changed it. And look at all the great that's come from that. I mean, that's kick ass. That's something you should be really proud to share. And so Dope for Hope was really, how can I help break the stigma around mental health and addiction recovery and let people know it's okay to not be okay and really make an impact around it. So we do a bunch for our community, like elevating the conversation, trying to make it easier to talk about, share real stories of real people going through it, helpful resources and all of that. We do like a mental health Monday text blast, for example. We just had another one this Monday that says, give us one high and one low from your last week. A real person's waiting to respond. And, you know, this is text to, we got something like 40,000 people on our text list. And we have hundreds and hundreds of messages and conversations that start from that with people who just 
didn't have anybody to ask them how they're doing, you know, and haven't really been able to stop and share what's what's been really hard on their minds. Someone tweeted like, it's really cool to see dope cares about this. Like mental health can be so exhausting. And it's funny to see a cookie dough place doing it. And I'm always like, if not us, then who? Like, it doesn't matter what we sell, we can try and make an impact. So the community is a big portion of it. And then inside the company is the next pillar for it. You know, really focused on not just being a business that's out there like, oh, we plant a tree for every blank, you know, or we do these things in outside world. I wanted to make sure that like, it was also happening in the company. I wasn't just talking about how important mental health was, but I was letting my employees talk about theirs. And so I made a really robust mental health policy early 2018 that rolled out. And I have a template of it on my website. I share with other employers and founders just to get ideas going about how you could bring these conversations to light in the workplace. Dope is a designated recovery-friendly workplace, which is a designation in something like 25 states now. Hmm. They have a program here to help people understand how to build environments, let their employees bring their full selves to work across mental health, addiction, and suicide prevention as well. And then the last piece is donations. And honestly, I thank Intel a lot when I talk about this, that my time working for Intel showed me in many facets how a company can be totally for profit, but gosh, look at all the good that they can do along the way. I was the benefit of one of those Intel IESC trips, you know, got to go to the Philippines and Mm -hmm. um, we were bringing technology to a school that had been devastated by a typhoon. And that was just such an incredible thing. Mind you, that was about a week after that Barcelona trip when I got sober. I'm not sure if you remember this, Camille, but it was a crazy whirlwind for me of like home for a week. And then that volunteer trip was coming. But I didn't know you were going through the other side of it. I, I knew about the trips. Yeah. But I never knew like the giant transformation that was happening in your life at that time. Yeah, all overlapped, but kind of beautiful in a way that this trip was like, take yourself out from all these things that, oh, it feels like the end of the world. And then you're seeing kids who are like, almost in tears, excited, seeing themselves on a webcam for the first time, you know, mm-hmm. on a little tablet or something. So it was a, just a really nice example. So uh, we decided to donate 1% of all of our sales company-wide to nonprofits that work in the space. Uh, the last two years, we've been partnered with the She Recovers Foundation. They're for women or those who identify with women's communities um, that are in or seeking recovery and across lots of things. They have this phrase that like, we're all in recovery from something. <laughs> so life challenges, mental health, substance use disorder, uh, whatever your thing is, they've got a community for it. And we've donated more than $100,000 to date through Dope for Hope. That's very cool. So just on a personal note, is sobriety something that's like a daily struggle for you? Or is it not a struggle? Is it how would you characterize it? You know, in the phase that I'm in in my life now, I live in a very small town in East Texas. I'm like three minutes away from my grandpa. It's basically a retirement community. I'd say my median friend age is like 75. (laughs) So my daily pressures to drink like I used to face when I was living in Portland when I originally got sober or living, uh, you know, in San Francisco for a time, mid twenties, newly sober, those were different. And it certainly was really everyday reminders that I go a different path. And um, I wouldn't say there's a day that it doesn't come up. You know, you go out to dinner, you go to a friend's house or anything and they're having beers and I just don't have a mocktail or some fun non-alcoholic drink. It's always on my mind. And the scariest thing is like when you think you've beat it. Mm. I've met people who have you know, 30 years of sobriety. And then one day they're just like, you know, I think it's been long enough. I think it's fine and go back to it. And as many stories go, like it wasn't fine. You still are the alcoholic inside. And I've just been able to get much better with mental health coping mechanisms and 
you know, I call it like my mental health recipe card. What are the things I need to be doing to keep myself feeling good and, and feeling grounded? And yeah, it's just been that next first drink will never be worth it. I just can't mm-hmm. get there. So I just remind myself of that. I have a list, two lists. One is I had listed down when I first got sober, all of the, oh my gosh, nights or events or things mm. that I had done while drinking that each time I had said, I'm going to get it together. I'm going to figure this out. And I of course didn't. So I have something like 37 of these things on this list, not to shame myself or like make myself feel bad, but as a reminder of what that path continued to lead me down, even after attempts to stop drinking for a period of time, I had four months sober at 21, you know, to do a reset. And I thought now I'll be fine. I'll know how to drink. And you know, plenty of events that followed from there once I started to drink again. So I keep that as a reminder of, you know, I, insanity is doing the same thing twice and expecting a different result and just don't want to go back down that path. And my other list is all the things that I'm so grateful for that I have only because of this choice to get sober. Mm-hmm. Um, this baby girl, Olivia, on her first podcast, uh, <laughs> my husband, all these things, like, it's so incredible that he's only known this version of me. Um he doesn't have any of this emotional baggage and turmoil from the drinking Kelsey, you know, and and my past. So it's just a beautiful thing to be who I am and where I am today, the business that I have, the lives we've changed and people we've touched with the business and the the mission. It's yeah, it's awesome. So every day it's just worth it to keep going on the sobriety train. What amazing, amazing, amazing story. Like really. Thank you. You have always struck me as a very confident person. You're, you've always been very competent. You kind of like have a way of shining. You have bring a lot of energy and light. And, it, you know, is that just innate? Have you ever not felt confident? You know, I guess I would say it's like a self-fulfilling way of being. Like it propels itself. So the more excited and energetic you are, the more pleasant interactions with other people are. Uh, I have very outgoing parents too. So I think I learned a lot of those ways of being from them that, you know, you don't have to be serious all the time. They're fun and funny people. So yeah, I think that kind of like helped pave the way for me to know that it's okay to be like this and the confidence blend with vulnerability that like, you know, has come so full circle into what I do with dope. That has also been so rewarding. Like the more vulnerable you can be, it lets someone else let their guard down and share something that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. So, you know, when I'm sharing about my recovery journey on a call with a retail buyer who probably never has these kind of conversations with vendors, he is sharing about how his daughter, you know, just got sober two years ago or examples from investors who were saying, you know, their daughter or aunt or sister, whoever you name it, is struggling. And this kind of barrier breaking of like, we're all going through it. Like we're all just humans. Yes. We all have these little roles and we're showing up to do these things. And you know, you're an investor. I'm trying, we're trying to work together, get this money. We're all human. And if one in 12 Americans are in active recovery, chances are pretty high that like I'm talking to somebody who either is in recovery or has someone who's struggling too. So that's really helped me to feel even more confident in like owning my story, like owning my decisions, owning who I am and, knowing that if I'm just myself, I'll attract the right people and have people around me who like who I am. Then there was no like facade or mask to keep up. It's just, uh, it just gets to be me. What's your number one thought about motherhood? It's right around the corner. I'm scared shitless. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, 
this last year as we started to get a little bit more stabilized and you know we made it through the pandemic we started to grow the retail channel like things were feeling a little more secure and this biological clock just started ticking of saying you need to be a mom you've got to do this so i'm really excited it's so fun it's interesting to see how this little thing big decision but little thing can so drastically change how you view what's important in the world you know there's just no question of like we're going to make this work and figuring out how to make my workload and what we need to do with dope work so that I can still care and spend time for and bond with, with our child. So yeah, I'm very excited is all I can say about it. We'll see what happens. It's going to be the wildest adventure yet, but I think I've got some good training with stress levels at dope, you know, overwhelm and running the company with my husband too. It's a, I think it's a lot more than some parents have when they first go into, into parenthood. We've certainly, yeah, been through some challenges together and learned how to communicate well. So I'm excited. It's really, really cool. Congratulations, actually, on everything. Thank you. <laughs> Business baby and the real baby. <laughs> yeah, and sobriety and all the rest of it coming into yourself and like growing up into such an amazing human. You've always been an amazing human. And like, it's Thank just you. really cool to see how cool you are um, and everything that you're doing to help other people. So thank you, Kelsey Morera, CEO and founder of Dope, Legit Cookie Dough, and so much more. Dope for Hope. Thanks for joining today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Stay tuned for the next episode of In Technology and follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation. Intel Corporation.